Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 4. If you're not familiar with your Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy, chapter number 4. I have been abandoned by my ladies today. It's true. Totally abandoned. My wife is with my mother-in-law in in Asheville, and um, then uh, my daughter, she really abandoned me. She's with Brother Cody as he's preaching in Reedsville. (sighs) Tell you what. And so they left me, of all of the ladies in my life and in my home, they left me with the highest maintenance one, the dog. And I, you know, believe... Believe you me, believe me you, um, that dog is high maintenance. I have a great appreciation for my wife and all that she does to take care of that pet. Of course, uh, the pet means a whole lot more to her than to me. But you know what? I, I'm, I'm not just a cruel-hearted individual. The dog means something to me as well, just not as much as mama. And so uh, high maintenance, uh, that dog has outlived the lifespan of its breed by uh, over a year, maybe almost a couple years, and uh, that's probably due to being pampered by my wife and taken such good care of. If her body wasn't just practically just decaying and she can't even hardly walk and arthritis and she's got a bunch of other things going on, um, she would be uh, healthy as can be. She was uh, laying on the back porch, and we were watching, and we have about three rabbits that like to try to come and pilfer our garden. And, uh, boy, the, you know, they we have had a... Last year, I put a little fence around it of this, like, rubber lattice stuff that I stapled onto the frame. Those things can chew right through that rubber. You know, some of you old-timers are like, duh, well... I mean, this this is thick rubber. I mean, you had a hard. I had a hard time cutting it with a utility knife, and boy, they just chewed a hole right through it, and they were getting in. So, I took an old pallet and put it uh, up against the gate where uh, you know they couldn't get into it, and so got the rabbits out of the garden. But I said all that to say this: the rabbits are not afraid of our dog anymore. And so one rabbit got close enough where our dog could see it, smell it. Hear it? I don't think the dog heard it. I'm pretty sure of that. And so, bless her heart, the instinct kicked in, and she, you know, kind of got up, and she tried to make an effort to go after that rabbit, and she got about five steps, and there she's all wobbledy. And my wife's like, no, 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 because, you know, whenever she tries to run, then she's really gimpy for the next three days, and my wife has to extra nurse uh, the dog, and so, anyhow... Long story short, she still got it in her heart, she just don't have it in her legs. How many of you can relate to that? (laughs) I thought I'd get some more amens to that. All right, I'll shut up and we'll get into the Word of God here this morning. Uh, We don't have a PowerPoint this morning because, uh, like I said, my wife abandoned me and she uh, is the one that spruces up my PowerPoints. And so I thought I'd just, um, you know, what did we do before PowerPoints? I guess they just preached, right? I guess we'll just have to suffer and just have preaching, amen? But uh, I want to speak to you this morning on a subject that has been very dear to my heart the last week, a week and a half, I guess almost going on two weeks now, 
And I want to speak to you on the scattered nation. The scattered nation. We'll pick up with our text in Deuteronomy chapter number 4 and verse number 23. Moses speaking to God's people, the children of Israel, and he says, Take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Wait a minute, preacher. All of, all of the, the preachers in our nation today just say that God is a God of love. He's a God of love and grace and kindness and mercy. And where does this come from? Well, I'll tell you what, God is a God of love and God is a God of grace, but he's also a consuming fire, like the scripture says, and he's a very jealous God. You know, there's a lot of jealousy that is really just filled with pride and selfishness and carnality, but this is a holy kind of jealousy. If anyone ever had the right to demand another entity, another uh, uh, another uh, soul, a conscience being, to worship them and to give them total devotion, I'll tell you who it is. It's God Almighty. He is worthy. And He deserves that we make Him the only God in our life. Brother Glenn and I talked about priorities on salt and light this past week. And, uh, you know, it's really important that we remember some people think they're doing pretty good if God's, you know, running a close first, but in second place or third place. Hey, God's high on my priority list. I've got news for you. God is not going to settle for that. God demands, commands, and deserves the first place in our heart and life. He deserves that priority. Verse number 25, when thou shalt beget children and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land and shall corrupt yourselves and make a graven image or the likeness of anything and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. And there ye shall serve gods, the work of men's hands, Wood and stone, which neither see nor hear, nor eat nor smell. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. That's Moses, the man of God's message to a backslidden nation. I've got good news for you here this morning. It's the same message that applies to you if you're a backslidden believer. If you'll seek the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul, you'll find Him. You'll find forgiveness. You'll find restoration because that's what's in the heart of God toward His people. When thou art in tribulation and all these things are come upon thee, 
Even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God and shalt be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swear unto them. What a great admonition that we have from Moses to Israel, from God to all those that would read the word of God, because all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. This is doctrinally written to the children of Israel, but it is spiritually and practically written to America and to us as well as individuals. And so this is a selected passage here this morning, one of many, many that I had to choose from for the topic today, the scattered nation. Let's ask the Lord to bless this time that we have together. Our Heavenly Father, Thank you that we can call you our Father. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, for regeneration, to be born again into the family of God. What a joy and what a privilege, especially for us as lost Gentiles, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. What a joy and what a privilege that we take for granted. Lord, America has been a Christian nation, at least in word, for so many years, for its entire history that... There are many of these truths that we take for granted. We've lost the awe, the appreciation that God would save us lost Gentiles. We think about Israel, your people, the covenant that you made with Abraham. We think about what's going on in our world today, what's going on in the Middle East between Israel and the Palestinians. We think about the rioting and the mobs and all of the uh, anti-Semitism that's going on in cities across our land. God, we were concerned. And Lord, my heart is burdened for this particular topic. And Lord, it's my desire to present the Word of God and truth. We're not going to get a whole lot of truth from the media. What we do get, we have to sift through all of the liberal agendas and how they twist the truth and Lord, they embellish their agenda and they downplay the things that uh, go contrary to their agenda. May we look past current events and may we focus on the Word of God here this morning. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take some time here this morning, kind of like Stephen did in Acts chapter number 7, as he laid out the history of Israel. I want to give you a very brief timeline of the history of the nation of Israel. In approximately 2000 BC, God called a man named Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. We know it as Mesopotamia. It would be modern day Iraq between the Tigris River and the Euphrates. And he said, I want you to leave your kindred and your family and I want you to go to a place that you've never seen, a place that I have in store for you. And God said to Abraham, and we'll see this again, he said, I'm going to bless them that bless thee, and I'm going to curse them that curse thee. This was a promise that God made to Abraham as an individual, but also to all of Abraham's descendants. And then God gives Abraham and his wife Sarah in their old age a son by the name of Isaac. Jacob and Esau are eventually born to Isaac. And then Jacob, he gives birth to the 12 patriarchs. We would know them as the 12 tribes of Israel, Judah, Reuben, Simeon, Joseph, Benjamin, all of these, and so forth. 
They go down to Egypt. And 400 years later, after bondage and slavery, God raises up Moses to deliver Israel from the bondage of Egypt. They spend about 40 years in the wilderness before they begin to inhabit the land. And of course, most of you know the reason why it took 40 years is because they wouldn't trust God. And then they move into a time period that I would call certainly a spiritual roller coaster, uh, the time of the judges, where it is, it is typified by the phrase, every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. Sure sounds like America today. And this roller coaster, God would raise up a deliverer and Israel in their oppression by their enemies. They would cry out to God. God would rescue them. They'd have some peace and prosperity. They would follow God as long as that leader was alive. But as soon as that leader died in a matter of months or years, they would drift right back into their heathen pagan ways. Then that ushered in the roller coaster time of the kings. What a roller coaster. A good king, a bad king. A good king, a bad king. God split the nation and divided them into Judah and then the northern tribes known as Israel. And so you had two kings. And of course, the kings of Judah, there were more good kings of Judah than there were, were good kings of Israel. But every now and then, a good king would raise up there in Israel and turn the hearts of the people back toward God. But Baal worship and idolatry and wickedness and violence and perversion just continued to crop up just as soon as a bad king or a mediocre king took the throne. Around 600 B.C., God did what he said he would do right here in this passage as well as many, many others. He sold them into a 70-year captivity in Babylon. This ushered in the time period of human history that the prophecy of the Bible calls the times of the Gentiles. It started with Babylon, it went to Medo-Persia, Then it went to the Grecian Empire and then the Roman Empire. And of course, some would say, well, there's no Roman Empire today. Oh, the Roman Empire is still alive and well, just in a very subtle form. And it has been for 2,000 years. I don't have time to to explain or or back that up, but I I can say without any fear of uh, reservation, it is absolutely true. We find after the Babylonian captivity uh, that God brings them back into Israel, many of them anyways, under the times of Nehemiah and Ezra, the wall of Jerusalem is rebuilt, the temple is rebuilt, not like it was from the days of Solomon. It was, I guess, what we would consider a cheap imitation, but going from something that was rubble and ransacked to something, it was a, a time of revival and joy for the nation of Israel. And then we have about 400 years later, God raises up a man by the name of John the Baptist who begins to preach and baptize saying, prepare ye the way, the King is coming, the Messiah is coming. Then of course Jesus Christ is born and he lives 33 and a half sinless years teaching the truth 
healing, feeding, helping, doing everything that this whole world wants to see in a leader. A handful of people said, we want to make him king. But the vast majority, even of the Israelites, the Jewish people said, crucify him, crucify him. During this time of Roman occupation, 70 years later, the Romans destroy Jerusalem completely. This Roman period goes from approximately 64 B.C. to 400 A.D. From that point, in comes the Dark Ages with the Crusades and the Muslims and the Arab nations and uh, the Ottoman Empire and so forth. This was certainly a, a, a continual roller coaster for the land of Palestine and the Jewish people. As we come up into more modern times, something took place in 1917 called the Balfour Declaration. I believe that God in His providence raised up the British Empire. And the British Empire was at its peak in 1913. And the Bible, or not the Bible, history says that the sun never set on the British Empire. God raised up a nation, and I believe the influence of this 1611 King James English Bible had affected the nation of Great Britain so greatly that as they began to expand, they took the gospel message and the Word of God. And this book here influenced their political leaders, and there was a heart for the Jewish people because of the Word of God. Not because of the natural resources of Israel, not because they needed another ally to fight in the battles with them, but just because of God's Word. I believe the founding fathers of this nation believed what the Bible teaches about taking care of Israel and the Jewish people. This Balfour Declaration basically just stated that we favor a state of Israel. We favor of making the land of that we know as Israel today, making it a nation and giving a home back to the scattered Jewish people. The result of this Balfour Declaration was much immigration into the land of Israel, both legal as well as illegal immigration. This time period was characterized by much, much turmoil between the Jews and the Arabs. By the way, from the time of Israel becoming a nation, and especially from the time of them being scattered, the Babylonian uh, captivity and so forth, the Jewish people have known very few years of peace and security. They understand trouble. They understand conflict. Uh, if I was a Jewish person, I would certainly have a complex, like many of them do, justly speaking. So much turmoil. And then May 14th, 1948, after World War II and the Holocaust, you know, Hitler wanted to annihilate the Jewish race. And he had a pretty good start doing it. 
I don't know how he kept that secret from the rest of the world. Maybe the rest of the world was aware of it, but didn't want to get involved. I don't know what the case is, but I tell you one thing, even though there were millions and millions of Jewish people tortured and murdered and exterminated by Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, God took and turned that around for good for the people of Israel. The Jewish people gained some sympathy from the entire world except for the Arab nations. And because of that, both the United States and Great Britain established Israel as a state and declared them as a nation. All of the Axis powers, all of the Great Britain and American allies all recognized Israel as a nation, but it was totally rejected as a nation by the League of Arab Nations. Now, Matthew 24, I I, I think strongly, is relevant to Israel becoming a nation in 1948. I'll read it to you. Verse 32, Jesus said, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. That was 1948. And Jesus predicted, and I, when the fig tree is putting forth leaves and budding, you could make an argument that that's 1948, Israel becoming a nation. I can't say dogmatically that that is what it's talking about, but I think it's very, very high possibility. If it is indeed true, 1948, you study generations in the Bible You can go anywhere from 40 years to 100 years to establish what the time period of a generation is. Hey, we're 2021. Um, 2048, if you had a 100-year generation, that would be the max. So somewhere between now and 1948, all these things, the Lord said, are going to be fulfilled. That's pretty close, folks. That's pretty close. And I'm not waiting for 2048 or I'm, I'm, I think that it's going to be even closer than that. Immediately following Israel becoming a nation is their war for independence fought with the Arabs. Britain, U.S., United Nations are all heavily involved. And then in 1967, you have a six-day war with Egypt, Jordan, and Syria. A six-day war by a little nation of Israel that were so outnumbered by Egypt, Syria, and Jordan that you would think this is not going to be a war, this is going to be an annihilation. And if you knew the statistics between military might and so forth, you would think, oh, a six-day war. It took them six days to conquer Israel. Au contraire. In six days, the little nation of Israel, without a whole lot of foreign help, they annihilated their enemies. I would say that 
even the Arabs recognized, wow, God must, there's something supernatural going on. And because of that, they, they somewhat backed off for a while. There was a little skirmish or war they call the Yom Kippur War of 1973. Didn't last very long. It was officially won by Israel, but really neither side uh, could declare a absolute victory. It was kind of a win some, lose some, and nobody really felt completely like the winner. Nobody completely felt like the loser. The United States in this Yom Kippur War very strongly supported Israel at a great economic cost. In retaliation to the United States, the Arab nations upped the price of oil and said, we're going to punish you for your support of Israel. And that's when, you know, the supposed gas shortages and the price of gas just started doing that. And, you know, who knows where that's going to end. But they made the right decision. You know, if they would have, they should have made the right decision like our previous president did and said, we're not going to be dependent on those heathen nations for our economy. But it looks like we're heading back to that territory as well. And so I want to skip now forward to the last couple of weeks and give you just a little bit of a background of this current Israel-Palestinian conflict. On May 6th of this month, Tensions began to rise between the Israelis and the Palestinians around the holy sites. This is the time of Ramadan. This is a very holy time of year for uh, the Jews with Passover and all of the, the different um, uh, special days and times as well. Tensions begin to rise. On May 7th, the Palestinians begin to throw a stockpiled rocks at Israeli police as well as lighting fires. The police respond, as should be, to try to control the crowd, just like what should be going on in New York, Los Angeles, Minneapolis, Seattle, Portland, and wherever else, when there is lawlessness going on, the law enforcement officers should enforce peace. And that is, you know, I, I'm, listen, I'm not trying to oversimplify something or speak of things that I know not of. There, no doubt, is a lot of things going on here behind the scenes, a whole lot more than what meets the eye, and a whole lot more than we'll ever find the truth out about. Just like with, you know, all of the things that's happened in America in the last year. You know, Minneapolis and George Floyd, that, that was just the, the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, you can look at him, and all of this is somewhat not causing our cultural problems, but are reflecting our cultural problems. All the way back to Colin Kaepernick and him, you know, not, uh, not supporting our flag and our national anthem. And, and, and to me, that's not the problem. The problem was getting away with it. That's the problem. On May 8th, the Palestinians throw more stones. Now, they got big rocks that they're stockpiling for this purpose. This isn't just like, you know, well, you said something about my mama. You said something about my mama. Let's fight. No, this is pre-planned, organized rioting and rebellion. 
They light more fires. The police again respond with stun cannons and water hoses. About 80 people are injured. On May 10th, thousands of Palestinians sleep over at these holy sites. And um, and their attempt is to try to uh, keep Jewish people from accessing these religious sites. If we just take over and we all just camp out all night long... If there's thousands of us here creating a, a, a press and a crowd, then they're not going to be able to get in. We're not talking about putting up barriers or putting a military presence. They thought they'd be clever and just everybody have a little overnight camp out and we're going to subtly cause problems for the Jewish people. Once again, Israeli police, they show up. They storm the site. 300 Palestinians are injured with stun cannons, tear gas, rubber bullets, and so forth, as the Palestinians continue to throw large rocks and firecrackers at police. By the way, this information isn't coming from a conservative news media outlet. I'm just sifting through some of the highlights and trying to give you the whole picture here of what's going on. Militants in Gaza at this point begin firing rockets into Israel. Not aimed rockets, not at Israeli military sites, just wherever the rocket lands, boom. We don't care, we're just firing rockets. May 11th, Israel responds to these rockets by taking down a 13-story building in Gaza that housed Hamas headquarters. That's the Palestinian agency that is shooting the rockets. On May 12th, over a thousand rockets are fired into Israel. Over a thousand rockets. At least eight people are killed, including a soldier and a five-year-old boy. Israel responds with airstrikes, taking out Hamas tunnels military sites. Hamas fires three more rockets from Syria at this time. May 15th, Israel airstrikes take out a media building that housed Hamas intelligence. May 16th, 40 more rockets are fired into Israel. May 17th, Palestinians report 212 deaths and 1,400 injured. Six Israelis killed and 200 injured. Injured. And by the way, the six Israelis that were killed and the 200 so, so forth that were injured, I can't begin to tell you how much news media information I had to sift through to find that information. The Palestinians that were killed, it's almost every paragraph. Oh, by the way, did we mention how many Palestinians were killed? But I had to sift through, I had to look pretty diligently to find out how many Jewish people were killed. May 20th, a ceasefire. And and that's a good thing. I I hope that uh, they can get this all worked out and this isn't going to escalate. I read uh, from a Fox News report this morning that kind of takes a lot of what I just said and kind of summarizes it in one paragraph. It, it read like this, quote, In the fighting, Israel unleashed hundreds of airstrikes against militant targets in Gaza. Now, there's some good things about that statement, and 
not so good. I, I'm not real fond of the term unleashed. They unleashed airstrikes, whereas they're getting ready to say that, you know, the Palestinians fired rockets. Doesn't say they unleashed thousands of rockets, they fired rockets. But I do like the fact that they report that Israel, Israeli, unleashed their airstrikes on militant targets. While Hamas and other militants fired more than 4,000 rockets toward Israel. More than 250 people were killed, the vast majority of them Palestinians. True. But 4,000 rockets, folks. If it wasn't for the Iron Dome, where Israel was able to take out many of those rockets... The carnage of the Jewish people and Israelis would have been phenomenal. So they make it sound like that Israel's being the bully here because so many more Palestinians were killed. Listen, Israel targeted military sites. Israel did not tell them to fill the building where their headquarters were with residents. Human shields, if you will. And by the way, if you listen to what the Israelis say, they did everything they could to draw the militants out away from those residential areas and to be efficient and not have very much collateral damage. They did the best that they could under the circumstances. 4,000 rockets in just a few days. That's rockets, rockets, rockets all over the place. Now, when I read that this morning, I was not aware that there were 4,000. That's a lot, folks. Before I actually get into my four simple points here this morning of this message, I just want to just speak my concerns of all that's going on regardless of this. First of all, the anti-Semitism in the United States as well as the world. I'm seeing and hearing of anti-Semitism. If you're not familiar with that term, it basically just means people who hate Jews. We're seeing it among the leaders of this nation. I'm concerned about the weakness and the motives of our current administration as they are so far on the surface standing with Israel. They're standing... They're saying, we're backing Israel, but I will say this, it just doesn't sound very strong, and it doesn't sound very principled. I'm concerned. And then, of course, in the last few days or the last week, uh, we keep hearing Russia chiming in and getting involved. I read this book right here about Gog and Magog. And uh, that certainly is cause for concern as well. And so four quick points here this morning. What do we need to know as Christians? What do we need to know as Americans? Well, number one, we need to know and understand that there is an unconditional promise from God to Israel. Unconditional promise. 
God made a promise to Abraham and his seed. I'll read it to you verbatim, Genesis 12, verse number 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That word families, later on in, in, uh, in Genesis, uh, God uses the, the word nations. In Abraham are all the nations of the world blessed. You mark it down. I don't care what nation you're talking about. The nations that took care of the Jew, they inherited great blessings and prosperity and peace. Those that did not inherited just the opposite. Of all of the problems in the United States of America, morally, socially, and spiritually, that's the big one, brothers and sisters. If we ever turn against Israel as a nation, we're in big, big trouble. You ain't seen nothing yet. Now, God expected humility out of his people. Because he said in Deuteronomy chapter number 9 and verse number 4, God admonishing Israel, he said, Speak not thou in thine heart. After that the Lord thy God has cast them out from before thee, saying, For my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. But for the wickedness of these nations the Lord doth drive them out before thee. Not for thy righteousness or for the uprightness of thine heart doth thou go to possess their land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee, and that he may perform the word which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are things that every Christian and every American ought to be familiar with. Of course, we know that Israel, as I've already said, has been a spiritual roller coaster And the times of them being right with God have been few. I mean, the peaks of the roller coaster have been very short-lived, but the valleys of backslidden carnality and wickedness have been very lengthy. And yet still, we read of God's willingness and readiness to forgive. In Romans 11, verse number 1, I say then, hath God cast away His people? God forbid. Verse number 2, God hath not cast away His people which He foreknew. God's not done with Israel. I guarantee you if your child would would treat you the way that Israel has treated God, you would have been done with them. You would have disinherited them permanently. You would have said, they're not my son. But our God is a God of mercy and grace and He is ready to forgive. Always ready. No matter how far we go, no matter how far Israel goes, God is waiting with outstretched arms, ready to receive them back as soon as they're ready to repent. Time after time after time after time after time, God has forgiven and blessed Israel. And He'll he'll do the same thing for you. 
Number two, if you'll take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. I read here in the Word of God that God will judge all of the nations. There is a judgment coming for every soul, the great white throne. There's a judgment coming for every believer, the judgment seat of Christ. But there is a judgment when Jesus sits on the throne of his father David. There's going to be a judgment of the nations of this world. We read about it in Matthew 25 and verse number 31, a very misapplied and... um, misappropriated passage of Scripture. Verse number 31, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was an hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty, and we gave thee drink, and so forth? And the Lord says to them, As much as ye have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about this judgment of all of the nations, how they treated the Jew will determine whether they are cast out or whether they go into the millennial kingdom. The sheep nations will survive and they will be nations during the millennium. The goat nations that turned against Israel, they will be cast into the lake of fire. It's that simple, folks. That's why David, the psalmist, said in Psalm 122, verse number 6, he said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. You know, folks, I'm really, to be honest with you, I'm praying for the peace of Jerusalem, but I'm really not worried about Israel. I'm worried about the U.S. I hope and pray that we stick with Israel through thick and thin no matter what. And I hope and pray that we do it out of principle. If we're not doing it out of the principle of the Word of God, I guarantee you, we're not going to do it long term. Number three, and this is the reason, number three is the reason why I just said what I said. If we're not doing it because of the Word of God, we're not going to keep doing it. Because number three, Satan hates Israel and the Jew. Uh, Turn to the book of Revelation and chapter number 12. Revelation chapter number 12. We could look at many passages that show how Satan hates the Jew and hates Israel. We have examples of it in Esther. We have examples of it. In Nehemiah and Ezra, we have examples of it in Daniel. 
We have examples of it in Jeremiah and so forth. Satan hates Israel. By the way, have you ever noticed how that anybody that God blesses, Satan hates? Remember Job? Why did Satan have such a beef with Job? Because God was blessing him. Satan Satan once enjoyed the blessings and the glory of God, but he fell from it. And so that same blessing and glory God's giving to Adam, to Abraham, to whoever, and Satan hates it. Revelation 12 and verse number 1, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars, and she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Look, the Roman Catholic Church will tell you this is talking about Mary. This isn't talking about Mary. This is talking about this woman is the nation of Israel. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. These aren't literal intergalactic stars. This is talking about demons, angel, spiritual beings out there. He draws them, did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. This prophecy starts at the birth of Christ, and then it culminates here at the tribulation period when Satan is going to be throwing everything he's got to destroy Israel. Skip down to verse number 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast out unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. That's three and a half years from the face of the serpent. The serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that she might cause her to be carried away of the flood. The earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Listen, there's a lot of this prophecy, a lot of this symbolism. Some of it I understand, some of it I'm not sure of, and some of it I don't understand at all. But I tell you what I do understand, and that is simply this, Satan hates the Jew. He hates Israel. Last point, number four. Jesus was very pro-Semitic. Very. Matthew 10, verse number five. These twelve, the disciples, Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, watch this. He said, go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
He said in Matthew 15, 24, but he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew 15, 26, (laughs) by the way, (laughs) according to modern definition, Jesus was racist. Matthew 15, 26, but he answered and said, it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Now remember, I said by modern definition, and certainly there, that is no justification for us to be truly racist. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Listen, I think that all of this, you know, not being able to distinguish the difference between different people groups, colors of skin, and social and ethnic differences, to to not distinguish differences is nonsense. The problem is, is when, uh, when we don't recognize that people are different and we start thinking that my kind of people are superior to other people. Listen, all different peoples have strengths and weaknesses. That's just human nature. There, Yeah, there are stereotypical differences. The problem lies in what we do with that observation. Listen, if we would just be Christians full of the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have to worry about racism. We could be real rather than being afraid. We could love people. And we could laugh at ourselves, and we could laugh at our differences. Remember when it used to be fun? <laughs> I'm making you uncomfortable. I'm just at the point, I'm just sick of it. You, you know, let, let me just say this. I, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not racist. But modern culture, I'm having to fight it. I don't want to, I don't want to have feelings and opinions like what's trying to come in because all of the, the nonsense and the wickedness and people just being thugs and angry mobs and people being, you know, thinking like Satan wants us to think. What's going on in America today is not liberating America. It's creating more problems than we've ever had. I don't like saying this stuff. I don't like making you uncomfortable by me saying this. But it needs to be said. It's true. Jesus said it's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. He's talking about a Canaanitish woman here. But you know what that Canaanitish woman did? She said, truth, Lord, but the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall at the master's table. And Jesus stepped back and he said, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Guess what? She just went, because of her humility, because of her belief in the truth, she just went from an inferior position to a superior position just like that. Certainly that's not racism by modern definition. That's why repetitively throughout the New Testament it says to the Jew first and also to the Greek, also to the Gentile. Hey, I hate to tell you, it's not about you and it's not about me. 
Thank God we just get in on it, praise the Lord. Thank God for the crumbs that fall from the master's table. In conclusion, I want you to go to John chapter number 1. John chapter number 1. So much could be said about this scattered nation and how that God is going to bring them back to that place of prominence and blessing. Listen, it's not far away that Israel's going to be the chief of nations once again. Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning the entire earth with a rod of iron from the throne of David in Jerusalem. I don't believe we're very far away. That's going to be a great thing. Listen, I'm a, I'm patriotic. I love my country, but uh, I'll tell you the country that I love more than this country, and that's the country of my King, the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter number one and verse number six. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. If you haven't recognized who verse 10 is talking about yet, I'll spell it out to you. That's Jesus. Jesus, the same one. In Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created. That's Jesus right there. The world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. Verse number 11, He came unto His own. His own, that's the Jew. That's the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He came to His own, but sadly, and I insert the word sadly myself, sadly, His own received him not, but as many, verse 12. I'm not a Jew. I'm not an Israelite. I'm a but as many. I'm from the country of but as many. I'm a but as manyan. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. Folks, what happens in the Middle East and around the world will not matter to any of us if you don't get saved. If you're not saved, what the newspaper says is going to be totally irrelevant. When you wake up in a devil's hell, you're not going to care what's going on with Fox, CNN, You're not going to care what's going on with your favorite sports team. You're not going to care what's going on with Carolina or Duke or whoever you like. None of it's going to matter. You're not going to care who's going to win the Super Bowl. God's still on the throne. All these things that are going on today, He told us they would happen. We don't like it. And I'll say this, we're not supposed to do nothing. We're supposed to do what we can for peace in Jerusalem. Listen, when I vote the next time we have an election, I don't care if it's a rigged election or otherwise, I have the freedom. I'm going to make 
at least my little teeny tiny voice heard in support of whatever candidate I can find that I believe will stick with Israel. We're not supposed to do nothing. We're supposed to occupy until He comes. But we're not supposed to be troubled by any of it. Luke 21 and verse number 28, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to be saved, to know you. And Lord, I thank you that you love us Gentiles. What a privilege that we get in on your grace. Lord, I'm sure sorry that Israel has broken your heart while you've stretched out your arm and you've continually pled with them. And Lord, you've done everything that could possibly be done to get their heart back right with you. Lord, they've been a stiff-necked people. They've rejected you. Lord, I see the same spirit among Americans today. You said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and I see our country continually, Lord, making other gods, other things priority, turning from you, communicating that you're not welcome in our society and in our culture. And God, that breaks my heart as well. Lord, we can't change it. We can do the best that we can to tell people about Christ, try to get them saved, try to get them thinking according to the Bible. But when it's all said and done, Lord, we're so limited. But Lord, I pray that we would take the truth of the Word of God, and I pray that as a nation we would stick with Israel. I pray for President Biden, for Vice President Harris, For all of those in the House and Senate, I pray, Father, for the future, God. I pray that if we still have some years or some time, I pray, God, that what's going on in our nation would turn around. God, it starts with us, and it starts with the pulpits in America. I pray, God, that the truth would take hold. And Father, that all of the lies and all of the nonsense that seems to have center stage, uh, Lord, so many that believe like us are getting canceled, getting censored. God, I pray that you'd turn that thing around. And I pray, God, that their words and their opinions, God, would backfire on them. And Lord, that truth and God and Christ would get the preeminence in our nation. Regardless of what happens, I pray that anyone under the sound of our voice today that has never been saved, I pray that they would become one of those but as many that received you. God, you can save anyone regardless of our background, and we thank you for that. We pray that someone would get saved as a result of the message today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.